Go ahead and open up your books to Romans chapter 1. If you were here with us last week, Pastor Tanner did our introduction to our message for the book of Romans, and it was wonderful. And was there anyone here that who was not here last week? Okay. <laughs> get the CD so you can get the book of Romans for the intro. But first, let's open in prayer. Father God, we just... <clears throat> come to you, Lord, as women eager to learn more about you, Lord. And as we read the scripture, Lord, some of us have read Romans more than once. And I pray, Lord, that as we know your word, we ask that you burn it in our hearts, Lord. So that as we know your word, Lord, we know you. And I ask, Lord, that as I am used as a vessel, Lord, to teach your word, I pray, Lord, that if it's anything coming out that's just of me, I ask, Lord, that it falls on deaf ears. And, Lord, at this time, I pray that you open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and open our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you, on your lesson one, page two, it also gives you a brief history on the overview of Romans. But real quick before we dive into um, <clears throat> chapter one, as we've studied last year in the book of Acts, or if we are students of the Bible, and we're all students of the Bible, we know one of the greatest men in the Bible was Paul the Apostle. Paul has written 13 books, and if we count the book of Hebrews, which is not named, but it has his marking all over it, we would say that he wrote 14 books. Paul's formerly known as Saul, and he hated Christians and anything that talked about Jesus Christ. So basically, he drank haterade. We know that Paul was around the same age as Jesus. Give or take a few years, Jesus was one to six years old when Paul was born in Turkey. He came to the Lord after the crucifixion on the road to Damascus. We read that last year. And before that, he was doing all he could do to shut down the church. Paul was probably the most studied of all the apostles, and until both Peter and Paul came into alignment on certain things. They were kind of pulling against one another. In Acts chapter 8, we read of Paul persecuting the church in Jerusalem, putting men and women into prison for following Jesus. <clears throat> when Stephen was being stoned for his beliefs, his killers laid their garments at the feet of a young man called Saul. and He consented to Stephen's death. Paul was around, he just didn't believe. Almost the same as us before we come to Christ. We were around, but we just didn't believe. He was one of the people persecuting people who did believe in Jesus. And then he was confronted by Jesus and was changed forever. 
Paul was so well knowledged in the Torah, the scriptures, and we see how this knowledge plays out in his life when teaching in the synagogues and relating the scriptures with prophecy that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So if we look at the word knowledge, knowledge means nothing without Jesus. We could have so much knowledge. We could have so many memorizations of the Bible, of scripture. As we see in Paul, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul had the resume of all resumes. He had scripture knowledge. He was a scholar. And you can almost see that Paul was the one pointing fingers. No, your hat's not big enough. No, your robe's not long enough. No, your belt's not gold enough. Just pointing, pointing, pointing. He had so much knowledge in him about the Old Testament, and he grew up in it, that he missed Jesus completely, probably walking by him. We could probably say but it's not mentioned in scripture that Jesus knew of Paul because Jesus knows everything and Paul knew of Jesus but just didn't care. All he cared about was shutting down anything that Jesus was trying to relate. But Paul missed the Messiah. And then until when did he miss the Messiah? Until he came face to face with Jesus. And we all know on that Damascus road. Now, is knowledge important? Of course it is. That's why we need to continually be reading our scriptures. But knowledge without love, without Jesus, means nothing. Sadly, we see that today. Sadly, we see that around us. People who have so much knowledge but are more interested in pointing fingers and how we are doing things wrong. Paul lived by the law and pretty much became a policeman to anyone who did not uphold the law, which was the law God gave to Moses, known as the Mosaic the Mosaic Law. Now, as we study God's word, we know that it was impossible for anyone to keep the law. So if it was impossible for anyone to keep the law, why did God give the law? God gave the law to reveal his standard of absolute righteousness, to convict us all of our true guilt before him so that we would see our need for a savior and the gospel. Now we can say, but, you know, we don't need to worry about that because the law was given in the Old Testament times. Yes, and you're absolutely right. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 22:34 and gives us these two great commandments to sum up God's absolute standard. What are those two great commandments? We can do question and answer. Let me read it to you. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. The entire law rests on the two great commandments. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Now, I know some of us here, some of us in this room, some of us that we know, can't keep these two things. What is God to do? I could only picture before Jesus came, God just kind of going, oh my gosh, what's it going to take for these people to keep 613 laws? I can't do that. Well, what did God do? God sends us his son. Romans 3.24, we are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ, God's son. God sends us his son to take our penalty because we can't keep the law. We even struggle trying to keep two laws, two commandments. I often think that human race doesn't realize how real heaven and hell is. Those are some pretty hard words. We're going to get into a pretty hard book. And we need to be okay with hearing the hard words that the Bible is going to tell, tell us about. If we are, were given a rule book, when you go to a new job and you're given your outline and description of what your job title is, you have a list of things to do. And we are very careful to make sure we hit those list of things. We don't want to get fired. The Bible is our list of things to do to get to heaven. And why is it? that most of us, some of us, me included, can just, well, I don't like that law. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. You know. So I often think that sometimes we realize heaven and hell is just not a real thing because we don't talk about it too much. That God loves us so much, he wants us to be with him forever. He knows it's hard for us, some more than others. We can't follow rules, so he makes it so simple. Repent. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Getting back to Paul, he meets Jesus in his resurrected state on the road to Damascus. And from that point on, he is a debtor to Jesus Christ. He owes it to everyone he meets to tell them about Jesus. Now, Paul, if you remember, has received the most grace. He was a persecutor of Christians. And what does Jesus do? Paul, Paul. Paul receives grace. Paul put people in in, uh, prisons. So when Paul meets Jesus face to face, he now wants to make sure that everyone he meets knows and understands that if Jesus can forgive me, he can forgive you. No matter how bad you feel you came from, or God can never forgive me because I did that part in my life. No, he can't. God forgives all of us who recognize that we're sinners and we're repenting of our sins. Remember, Jesus wants us to be with him in heaven. The enemy, he's going to destroy your life because all he cares about is getting his more people to go into hell than Jesus can get to go to heaven. Paul was the greatest persecutor and now has become a bondservant of Christ. Paul and Saul were the same people. Some of you in this room can probably say to yourself in your privateness, I once was a Saul because I hated anything to do with Jesus and Christ and God. But now I'm a Paul and I love everything there is about Jesus and God and heaven. And how can I better myself? So if we all look at it today, 
all of us sitting in this room, we were once a Saul, and now we're a Paul. When Paul is writing this letter, remember he was taking up a collection for the church. Remember last year in the book of Acts, Paul was collecting um, money for the church in Jerusalem, which was going through a major persecution. You can go back and read that in Acts chapter 20. With the collection money in hand, with the letter written, handed off to the deliverer. And who was the deliverer of the letter to Rome? You guys should know this. It was a girl. Evie. Paul gives his letter to deliver to the church in Rome to Phoebe. Collection in hand, letter given off, time to depart for a quick layover in Jerusalem, travel to Rome, off to Spain. Change of plans. As Paul endeavored to go to Rome, the Holy Spirit warned him about the peril awaiting him in Jerusalem. Now remember back in Acts, who came up to Paul and said, the man, remember someone came up to Paul and took the belt and bound him up, the man who wears this belt. So shall it be when he gets to Jerusalem. So Paul is being forewarned. We can just imagine maybe Paul's thoughts at this point. What if he were unable to make it to Rome? Then he must write them a letter so comprehensive to the Christians in Rome that he preached. Even if Paul himself were not able to visit them. Romans, the book of Romans is different than any other letter Paul wrote. The other New Testament letters focus more on um, church problems, challenges, but the letter to the Romans focuses more on God and his great plan of redemption. Paul had been preaching for nearly 20 years now when he writes Romans. So open your Bibles and let's read chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to go all the way up to verse 7. And I am reading from the New King James Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So here we see Paul describes who he is and places himself on the same level as the twelve apostles and claims authority from God for his work. Called and taught by Jesus himself, baptized in the same fashion as John the Baptist, and he was an eyewitness of Jesus in his resurrected bodily state. Acts 8 and 9 tells us for three years Paul was set apart and received direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself. Verse 5, through him we have received grace, that gift from God himself. He recounts that Jesus was a descendant of David, as promised by the holy prophets. Talks about the resurrection and then proceeds to set the tone of his letter, the gospel of grace. Verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Rome was known at this time as a mega metropolis, and in one of the darkest places on the planet. 
It was a seat in world power, a place bound in worship to Caesar, and a place much like today. Rome had the wealthy living next to the homeless. Paul is writing a letter to the Christians, people who know what he will be talking about. This was not an open letter that Paul wrote that would be uh, read out loud to just anybody. So he's writing to the Christians. And when I tell you, um, if you and I have a personal conversation and I say, Carrie, Jesus is Lord of my heart and in my family, you're going to know what that means. Someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ is going to be looking at me like, what, Lord of the Rings, what, Lord, what? So here we clearly see that Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome who know what the word purification means, who knows what the word sanctification means. So Paul tells us he's writing to the Christians. Called to be saints, telling them that they are set apart. They are God-touched lives. You, ladies here, are God-touched lives. You are a new creation in God. You and I are set apart from the world. Our lives, again, have been touched by God. We have received Christ as our Savior. Therefore, we should exude more of a Christ follower in everything we do or say. Colossians 2.6, Therefore, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. So, ladies, be different. So that when people come across you, they know you are a Christian follower. Have you ever come across someone in the store, um, somewhere that you've just, someone just exudes Christ and you don't even know who she is, but her body language, her, her self-confident look is just exuding Jesus Christ. We need to, um, be different so that people who we come across can say, wow, she's a follower of Jesus. How do you know that? I just can tell. I can just tell. Easier said than done, but we should try harder every day. Back to our text. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. That your faith is spoken of throughout the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul thanks them for who they are, for all of them. The best of the best and the worst of the worst. How many times have we come to church thinking, I am the worst of the worst. I don't even know why I should even receive God's favor right now. And how many times have we walked into this church and think, I'm the best of the best. I have had a great week. I read my Bible three times a day. Paul is thanking them for who they are, not for what they've done. Remember, Rome was home for the wealthy and poverty, and Paul thanked them all. Oh, Paul's going to get down to the nitty-gritty issues of those who are um, puffed up in pride and those who think they're worthless in the sight of Jesus. And yes, we are all worthless in the sight of Jesus, but because we are clothed with the robe of Jesus, God doesn't see that. He sees righteousness of his son. Paul is telling them how their faith is spoken of throughout the world. Have you ever gone somewhere or heard someone talk about a church or when we go to a retreat? 
and we hear someone talking about this church over there, um, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, or, you know, the Grace Baptist Church in Texas or whatever. And so when we have hear things and we know of things, that's what's happening here, that the faith is spoken throughout the world. And when we hear other people talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, we have commonality with that person in our speech, and we recognize areas of where these churches are planted. And so Paul tells them how he always mentions them in his prayers. Like I said earlier, don't you feel good when you know someone's praying for you? It's like that fuzzy, cozy, warm blanket placed around you when you know that someone's praying for you. When we are doing our devotions and the quiet and the Holy Spirit pops someone's name in your head, there's a reason for that. The Holy Spirit is using you to pray for that sister, for that person. I remember one time God put on my heart someone's name and I brushed it off like, no, I'm not going to pray for her because you know, she has it all together and she's a women's leaders in ministry. Her kids are perfect and they never do anything wrong. So I brushed it off for two weeks. The Holy Spirit would tell me, pray for her, pray for her, pray for her. And in passing, I just kind of brushed it off and I told someone else. And they said, she had gone through a horrible loss in the last two weeks. Her mother had passed away. And so that broke my heart to the point where God was trying to use me as a vessel to pray for this sister. But I was closing. I was putting the lid on it. No, 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 no. So never, never, never stop the prompting of the Holy Spirit when that person's mind, when that person's name comes to your mind. Do what you can to stop what you're doing. Um, in school, they call it stop, drop, and roll for a fire. Stop, drop, and pray. Because you never know what that person is going through. Verse 10 making requests if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you for I long to see you okay so question ladies how did Paul get to Rome chains does it sound like he knows he's getting to Rome in chains in that verse no so would you agree that it's probably not the way he prayed Father, I long to go to Rome and see the church in Rome. Take me in chains and get me shipwrecked and get me bitten by a serpent and beaten and jailed. And No, he didn't. And so we need to, ladies, be careful that when we're asking for God's will, it's not going to look like something we're on our knees petitioning him for. We don't pray like that. We pray for God's will, and yes, this was God's will for Paul to get to Rome. So every time that we plan to do anything for God, you can count on hindrances from the enemy every time. But maybe the Lord himself, the Holy Spirit, is stalling us for the good, for the protection. We have to be very careful not to jump ahead of God's plan. Looking again at verse 10, in the will of God to come to you. This clearly shows us that when we ask God's will to be done, 
we better be ready to accept it. God's will looks very different than our petition. Not my will, but yours. And what was the difference when Jesus prayed these words? Remember, Jesus himself prayed these words. Jesus knew how it was going to end for him. We see a glimpse in this passage of Jesus saying, Take this cup from me, not my will, but yours. We see a glimpse of humanness in Jesus not wanting to go through this horrific suffering and pain. When we find ourselves asking God, no, this can't be the direction you want me to go, God. But it's the only direction he's leading you in. Remember, his plans are better than ours. Let it go and let God do what he needs to do. Paul goes to Rome, how? As the emperor's prisoner. Verse 11, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you, you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Here Paul's not talking about bringing a fruit basket. Paul wants to give them a spiritual blessing. Paul wants to give them encouragement. He wants to give them spiritual encouragement in the same faith. You help me, I help you. You need prayer, I need prayer. Spiritual encouragement. Speak life into one another's soul. Never tell someone, never, never tell someone what they're not or what they're not good at. But encourage each other. Encouragement will give life on the inside of us. Other times for corrective criticism? Yes. But we need to be careful that we are not doing it to push someone down further. We need to be loving and gentle. Otherwise, it will backfire. Now, I know that you can raise your hands because I'll raise all minds. How many times our tongue has made it backfire? And I can tell you the older I get, the more I think about wanting to tell someone, eh, you shouldn't be wearing that right now. I just look back and I'm like, oh my gosh. I remember, I'll tell you a funny story. I was so sure that I told my daughters how to dress for church. Oh my goodness, I was so sure of it. We wear this, we don't wear that. I was telling someone that. My daughter came in, my oldest one. That dress was so short, I was like, the heck is she thinking? How did she get out of the house wearing that? Oh, she must be wearing biker shorts because I told my girls wear biker shorts under your shorts, under your dresses. No, not even wearing that. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, what am I thinking? So before I go to criticize someone, I always remember before you open your mouth, that little thing there that we, uh, that grabs all the saliva, be careful because that could just get right back at you. So that was my experience. Before I open my mouth for corrective criticism, remember, we're all not perfect. Jesus is perfect. Um, again, Paul tells them how he has tried to come and visit. And in verse 13, Paul tells them again how he often wanted to come. And so now what would have happened if he never made it? 
well, what happened to that church in Rome? Or if you blew it off? I know sometimes, a lot of times in myself, I could be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go here, and then just like not show up. Or not call and say, no, I'm not going to come. Be very careful on that, because if Paul would have not shown up to Rome, that church probably would have said, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about us. Look, he goes to all these other churches, but he doesn't care. But here he's telling them he often wanted to come and visit. Verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul recognized he had something of a debt to Rome. The Roman Empire brought world peace and order for that time period. They brought a common cultural and an excellent transportation system to the world. Rome was the first group of people who came up with cement and made the roads. Paul used all these in spreading the gospel so he can best repay his debt by giving Rome the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul was a tireless evangelist, working all over the known world because he believed he had a debt to pay, and he owed it to everyone in the world that he knew. Paul also knows all roads lead to Rome and all roads lead out. If he can get the message into the hub, it's going to go out. And we right here are proof of all of that. The word Greek is those who are non-Jews. And then what about the barbarians? What do we think when we think of barbarians? I asked my daughter, if you've been in my house, we all have to yell because it's a three-story and you can't, if you're on one level, you can't hear the other one. So I asked my daughter, Elise, what do you think of when you hear the word barbarian? So I get this response coming yelling up at me. Someone... Someone who lived in the jungle for a long, long, long time. <laughs> okay. No, that's not what it meant. Barbarian was a word here in Scripture used for someone who was uh, not able to sit around and talk about the things of the culture or of current events. Um, not that it was a barbarian in a bad way. You can think of when Jesus and um, Barabbas... We could picture him, Barabbas was a barbarian because he kind of gave off that persona of someone who can't just sit around and talk about current events. That's what a barbarian was. So Paul is saying here clearly that the message of Jesus is for everyone, and he is going to tell everyone. And then 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Here we see Paul expressing himself, I am not ashamed. He is confident in his mission. Are we today confident in the ministry God has placed you in? Are you confident of that calling? Not for selfish gain, to preach God's kingdom and to further advance. Are we giving it our 100%? And if you have a heart for uh, ministry, ask God to show you which one it is. 
Paul reminds them that the Jews had a prior claim as God's chosen people, but he also stresses out, as we will see in our study this year, that salvation is for everyone. I like to look at it like God has, God is colored blind. He doesn't see our skin color. He sees our heart. Finishing up in Romans 7, uh, verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So in what? For in it the righteousness. In what? In the gospel of Christ. From faith to faith. Faith is at the beginning of salvation process and faith is the goal. What is our goal? To get to heaven. When a person exercises faith in Christ, that person is saved from the penalty of sin and declared righteous. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is the gift of faith that allows us to believe. Without faith, no one comes to Christ. So whether or not you have faith to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So who are the just? This faith, this trust in Jesus Christ becomes the basis of life for those who are justified. Those who are declared righteous, truly, the just shall live by faith. They are not only saved by faith, but they live by faith. We, believers in Jesus, are the just. The believers, those who have come face to face with Jesus. Have you come face to face with Jesus? We are justified, declared righteous. At the moment of our salvation, justification does not make us righteous but rather pronounces us righteous. Our righteousness comes from placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice covers our sins, allowing God to see us as perfect and unblemished. Because as believers we are in Christ, God sees Christ's own righteousness when he looks at us. This meets God's demands for perfection. This meets God's standards. He declares us righteous. He justifies us. So, as Paul pens this letter, he is setting the stage in verses 1 through 17, the message of grace, the foundation of our faith. Next week, as we dive into verses 18 through the remaining chapter, we are going to see that Paul gets right to the point. And we are going to be uncomfortable with some of the words that are going to be spoken. But we need to accept them because it's the word of God. Amen? So, we have a song to sing. Because we are all walking by faith. And so there's no other perfect song to sing 